What's up, fellow hard gamers? Welcome back to the Building Keep Fitness podcast, where you follow me, Timothy Averill, as I traverse the life of a hard gainer college student, constantly acquiring knowledge and making mistakes, so you can learn how to build and keep muscle, health, confidence, and a better life overall. Today, in episode 36 of the series, that's right, I remember the episode number this time, I made sure to check beforehand, I'm slowly learning, but in episode 36 of the series, um, today, we're going to be talking about, um, should you train to failure? Um, is it necessary for you to train to failure to get maximum muscle growth? Um, is it better than training suboptimally or to su- training with submaximal sets? Um, is it actually detrimental? Is it necessary? Is it better? We're going to answer all those questions. We're also going to discuss the topic of effective reps as it applies to this. And today is going to be the first episode of what I called Rep, rep Week. Um, and last week's episode, I called it Rep Week because we're going to be discussing tons of different topics related to reps. We're going to be discussing, uh, like, like I'm discussing today, training to failure, um, effective reps. We're also going to be discussing rep ranges, um, rep weights. So should you be lifting heavy or light um, in a given situation? Or should you only be lifting heavy or should you not be lifting heavy at all? We're going to answer all those questions in, in one of the episodes for this week. And we're also going to be discussing um, rep tempo. Now, I will say... Um, that this week is going to be the last week that I'm doing, at least the last week um, until further notice, that I'll be doing four episodes a week, just because um, I'm starting to get to a point in my content where it takes a good amount of time to prepare each episode. Um, So in order to maintain that and still be able to effectively balance other portions of my life, especially as I go into the second semester of college, I'm trying to maintain a social life, and trying to relax as well just to take care of myself i am going to drop it down to three episodes per week so that i can again maintain the content here but maintain the balance with this and the other portions of my life so i hope you understand that um and also for this week because i am planning all these episodes for or for rep week all the episodes for rep week i'm planning on the week of christmas i might potentially um, only do three episodes for this week as well, and I might move um, the fourth episode, which would be about uh, rep tempo, like fast versus slow reps. I would move that episode to next week. <clears throat> um, but if I don't move it to, the, to next week, then it will be part of rep week. However, regardless, I am going to do all four episodes. It's just a matter, a matter of whether or not that fourth episode comes on this week or uh, next week. So, um, without further ado, let's get into first off the today's episode, which again is answering the questions of should you train to failure? Is it necessary for muscle growth? Is it better for muscle growth? Or is it even good at all? Could it potentially be detrimental for muscle growth? Now to start, we're going to talk about first the ideas behind training to failure, right? Why do people actually think that training to failure is beneficial, right? What are the pros to training to failure, so to speak? So the arguments for this, the main arguments are that um, if you look at how the muscle, <clears throat> how the muscle is, how the muscle grows, the main driver for muscle growth is what's called muscular tension. And as muscular tension, or as muscle fiber recruitment increases, muscular tension increases, right? And it has been shown um, by um, <clears throat> by different studies and by science that as you increase um, or as you approach failure in a given set, um, the motor unit recruitment for that muscle increases as well. 
And if you don't know what motor unit recruitment or motor unit recruitment is, basically a motor unit is like a group of muscle fibers. So as you um, have more motor unit recruitment, you obviously have more muscle fiber recruitment, which means more mechanical tension. And since mechanical tension is the main driver for muscle growth, it can be said that as you approach failure in a given set, um, you increase the m mechanical tension that the muscle is feeling and thus increase the stimulus for growth. Another argument for training to failure is that when you train to failure, you have greater um, muscle protein synthesis. And since muscle protein synthesis is extremely important for rebuilding muscles and for growing muscles, um, it can be said that because of this, um, because of this trend that we see, <coughs> that training to failure is better. It can also be said a lot of people use the argument that training to failure accumulates more volume because rather than stopping at 8 reps when you can do 10, you're doing 10 reps, so you're getting that 2 extra reps, and when you continually do that, you accumulate more volume. Now, uh, those are the pros for training to failure, but there are some obvious costs as well. First off, um, it's extremely fatiguing, right? If, you, if you're constantly training to failure, it's just going to be fatiguing, um, but even more so than that, and I think... Well, maybe not more so, but another reason that is overlooked, I think, a lot um, is just kind of a, it's when you put um, failure reps into practice, um, which is something that a lot of people fail to look at. Uh, for instance, myself, when I'm doing this podcast, a lot of my information that I tell you guys comes from science, it comes from studies, it comes from sources, it comes from theories and based on science and that kind of stuff. But the science isn't as important as its application if that makes sense, if the science, if you have a study, but then you apply it to the exercise or to a workout, but it doesn't do anything, it's pretty much useless information. So you need to, the point of me saying that is to remind you guys that you also need to think about the um, effects of putting certain things into practice. Because while they may say, sound good on paper or in studies or in experiments, when they're put into practice, sometimes things don't work out as well. Um, for instance, training to failure, they can have pros. But if you put it into practice for a lot of um, lifters, especially beginner lifters, um, it's extremely, it's extremely, it's exhausting. It's uncomfortable. It's unenjoyable for a lot of people because you're having to put so much effort into, and it requires a ton of motivation to do sets to failure, especially if you're doing repeated sets to failure within a set or within a week or over a long period of time. It gets very taxing mentally. And also, again, it's very fatiguing on the body. Um, it's been shown that training to failure can cause excessive muscle damage. Actually, it not, I shouldn't say can cause. Very often, it causes excessive muscle damage and causes subjects to uh, require about 24 to 48 hours on average more to recover when they're training to failure versus when they're not training to failure. And this, of course, can carry over to other workouts, especially if you're doing a splits where it's like a push-pull leg split or a full body workout where you're having or you're hitting that same muscle group in one to two days, um, it's a very likely chance that this extra fatigue is going to carry over to that next exercise um, and really affect that. Even if you're doing a body part split and let's say you're doing chest once a day and you're not training chest again, it's likely that you're going to have another push muscle or even any other muscle that could be affected by chest fatigue within uh, the period that you need to adequately recover from those failure sets. So basically what I'm trying to say is um, Training to failure, like I said, can cause excessive muscle damage and cause subjects to require more time to recover, which again can carry over to other um, to other training days. And even if it gets bad enough, it can continue to carry over um, to other training weeks as well. And if you take this over a long term, training to failure um, over a long period of time, um, it can create what's called an overtrained state. 
and it's basically your it's like you're overtraining and if you don't know about overtraining essentially it's very very bad for um, muscle growth because it decreases your anabolic hormones and it basically creates overall a very suboptimal environment for growth where you can actually sometimes even lose muscle mass which of course you do not want to do that um, just by doing something train called or doing something as simple as training to failure when the whole point of you training to failure is to try and gain more muscle growth you definitely don't want to have the opposite effect so those are the cons of training to failure and I told you the pros but now we're gonna look at kind of those pros uh, to training to failure and essentially kind of disprove the theories right so the motor the theory about motor unit motor unit recruitment um, where training to failure increase in motor unit recruitment that is true as you get closer to motor or as you get closer to failure the motor unit recruitment increases however if that increase isn't a straight increase it's not linear the increase starts to plateau at around three to five reps from failure. So while it is technically still an increase, it's a very slight increase as shown by um, some studies. In terms of the muscle protein synthesis theory, um, while again, yes, you do have a um, large muscle protein synthesis stimulus when you're training to failure, um, some studies have shown that training close to failure where you're leaving a few reps in the tank can also have the same effect on muscle protein synthesis and when, when, where it maximizes this muscle protein synthesis um, and still gets the same effects for muscle growth and muscle recovery. Then for the more volume theory, again, when you put this in practice, it sounds great on paper. Technically, yes, that for that one set, you do have, um, to use my prior example, you did accumulate two more reps on that one set when you push yourself to the 10th rep instead of stopping at the 8th rep when you were tired. However, if you put this into practice and look at it, how you would actually be training, where you're doing, let's say, three sets to 10, so what you're going for on a bench press, for example, um, and you fail at 10 reps for that first set, the second set, you're likely not going to hit 10 reps again. In fact, a very likely scenario is you hit 10 reps on the first set, then you have to hit eight reps on the second set, and then six reps on the third set, right? So overall on the set for the whole set you're not gaining more volume you're going 10 8 6 so in the subsequent sets you're actually decreasing the volume um, and if you compare that to someone who let's say did eight reps for the first set they stopped with about two reps in the tank they were likely to be able to fully recover for the next set and then hit eight reps again then for the third set they're likely to again fully recover because they didn't push themselves and over fatigue themselves going to failure and they're likely to hit eight reps again so in total each, each person in this example did hit 24 reps. They hit the same exact volume. However, the second person who didn't go to failure, they did it with they did this with much less effort and much less fatigue. So they accumulated the same volume without the detrimental effects of going to failure. So in, in summary, in practice, the idea that training to failure increases volume isn't necessarily true when you factor in the extra fatigue that it causes which causes you to decrease volume in subsequent sets which totally counteracts the extra volume you accumulate in that first set by pushing yourself for a couple more reps <coughs> so with all that being said <coughs> there, here are two more studies real quick that i'm going to cite um, one study was by uh, Lacerda et al., which showed that uh, trainees they tra trainees trained um, with the single leg leg extension exercise for about 14 weeks, um, and they trained instead of having multiple groups of people, they just split it up by leg. So um, for one leg, they trained this exercise to failure, and then for the other leg, they trained this exercise to about one to three uh, reps in um, sorry reps in reserve or reps in the tank, so RIR. 
for reps in the reserve. So they trained that leg for with, with um, one to three reps in reserve. <coughs> Excuse me. And they found that the leg that they trained in one, uh, they trained to one to three RIR, um, showed more growth, greater uh, one rep max strength, and more muscular endurance. And just for the exact statistic, um, it showed a five percent uh, percent increase more than the other leg that they trained to failure. It showed a two point three four percent increase in greater or increase in one rep max strength, and it showed a whopping seventeen point seventeen percent increase in muscular endurance. Another study by uh, Godelatau showed that uh, five reps in or five RAR was inferior for muscle growth than like one to three RAR or lower uh, reps in the tank. <coughs> so, so that um, finding there does again support the idea that as you get closer to failure, it's it could be potentially greater for muscle growth. But again, like I said earlier, it does taper off. So while 5 RAR is inferior to 1 to 3 RAR, um, the difference as you get closer to failure does become um, smaller as you get closer to failure. <coughs> now, there is a, there's a, um, what's called a concept when you're talking about training to failure is called effective reps. So for this example, when we're talking about 1 to 3 RAR, um, they would be considered the effective reps. So just so you know what effective reps is, if you don't know, um, it's the idea that the last few reps right before you fail are the only reps that matter for hypertrophy. And Jeff Nipper kind of did a video where he um, explored this concept. And to start off with effective reps, there was some literature, there's basically going to be some literature for it and against it, but we're going to go just like we did with training to failure. We're going to talk about the um, the pro arguments first, and then we're going to talk about the against arguments after. So, um, a person named uh, Carl Juno, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, who has a PhD, um, basically they created an article where they, quote, formalized the theory of effective reps. So, while the effective reps before this point, um, it was just kind of a theory, but it wasn't f properly formalized or created into a um, concrete theory, um, which is what they tried to do here. Um, Carl said that uh, volume is a key driver of muscle hypertrophy. More reps lead to more volume, but not all reps are created equal. So essentially, um, the closer a rep is to failure, the more effective it is for building muscle um, is <clears throat> one of the main findings of this article. Um, and he had actually listed practical applications that he gave um, for this idea of effective reps, which I thought was really cool. Um, some of these practical applications included um, including lots of drop sets and rest pause sets into your um, training. If you don't know what a drop set is, essentially as you go to failure, but instead of just stopping the set there, you decrease the weight um, and then go to failure again. And you can do what's like a double drop set. So then you, so that's basically a drop set, but you do another drop. So you go to failure, drop the weight, go to failure, drop the weight, go to failure, right? And then a rest pause set is essentially when you fail, you just rest for a bit and then do more reps and then maybe you rest a little bit more and do more reps and you keep squeezing out reps till you can't do any more reps. So essentially those are both ways of increasing, excuse me, of increasing the volume of that particular set and taking it past failure, um, so to speak, and increasing the, by, by doing that, increasing kind of the intensity of that exercise. Um, another practical application that Carl gave was picking exercises that you can 
uh, go to failure on repeatedly but safely. So example would be the machine chest press, whereas if you did the bench press, you couldn't really go to failure safely because of how the exercise works. But if you're doing a machine chest press and you fail on the exercise, the cables just go back and you're not like having any weight dropped on you or anything like that. So if you're really trying to push through failure, or to failure, through failure, as I say, um, with drop sets and rest pause sets, be sure you choose exercises like the machine chest press um, where you can, again, fail repeatedly, but also, more importantly, fail safely. And then the last practical application that I got here um, is to replace normal straight sets with rest, pause, and drop sets in your training just in general, as long as you monitor your progress and you watch out for overtraining. Because like I talked about, overtraining is extremely bad when we're talking about um, growing your muscle because it's, it creates an environment that's hostile and very ineffective and suboptimal for muscle growth. Now, that was um, Carl Juneau's article, but another study um, by Goethe Latal in 2005 um, they trained two groups, um, where both groups did lat pulldown and leg extensions for 10 rep sets. Um, however, the difference was that group one did uh, normal sets, so which is 10 reps to failure, and then group two did the same 10 reps with the same weight, but they did they split it up. They did five reps, then a 30 second rest, then five reps. Right. So if, theoretically, group one will be um, if the effective reps holds up. In this case, um, group one will be doing more effective reps because the idea is that the break in the middle for group two would prevent group two from reaching failure, um, thus proving if group one shows more um, growth or more stimulus for growth, that um, group one had more effective reps and that those effective reps were more effective, as the name suggests, in, um, in being a stimulus for hypertrophy. And in fact, group one did see significantly more growth, um, exactly 12.9% growth, um, then group two, which showed four point or four percent growth, so that's about an eight point nine percent growth difference um, for the group one that trained um, with straight sets without the rest. So that trained to failure, um, and theoretically, as they state or as they kind of hypothesized, had more effective reps. So the results of this study um, led a lot of people to believe that's essentially the last five reps count more for hypertrophy than the reps before that. So this spawned kind of a theory, the effective reps theory, um, based on kind of like a rule of five, what I call it. Um, whereas, for example, in a 15 rep set, the last five reps are more effective for hypertrophy. In a six rep set, the um, last five reps are the more effective, most effective for hypertrophy. Um, in like a two rep set or lower than five reps in general, um, you're getting all effective reps. However, you're getting less than five effective reps if you're doing a two rep set. And then for higher rep sets, such as 30 rep sets, um, the first 25 aren't as effective as the fifth or as the last five reps in that set. Um, now, when I heard this in the video, I kind of like paused the video when I was watching and I kind of had an initial like negative reaction to this. Um, and I had a problem with this specifically because they focused so hard on the number five. Um, I think that the study, the go to tell study, wasn't focusing on determining an actual exact number of effective reps. Um, so if they had done it in a different way where they did it, for instance, like instead of breaking at five reps and then doing 30 seconds and doing five reps, if they had broke it at six reps, doing 30 seconds and then doing four reps, um, and then they did the other group like the same where they did 10 straight reps would the I feel like 
based on how the trend came out or how this like effective reps theory based on what I again call the rule of five I feel like they would like would they have changed that whole model to make it like the rule four kind of where the last four reps of the set were more effective um and if you don't get what I'm saying I'm basically saying that um group one while yes group one training to failure did show to have more growth than the group who split it up it wasn't necessarily because it was the last exactly five reps but more so that it trained closer to failure and had more effective reps however it doesn't specify the exact number of effective reps it would be um, theoretically somewhere at five or um, less um, RIR but it's not specified that it's exactly five so that was my initial problem with this model um, saying that it's like a hard cutoff at five um, is seemingly seemed to me kind of ridiculous um, and if you agree with that cool if you don't cool either way um, the next thing that I started to learn um, that was said by doc Dr. Mike Isretel kind of cleared it up for me and really helped me um, more understand better um, effective reps and what we know about them and how they actually have a practical application um, kind of to our training so uh, Dr. Mike Isretel who I mentioned I believe in the quads episode I think, um, as a volume expert, and he is, um, he has a PhD in sports physiology, and he's very, uh, renowned for, um, things in the sports physiology and exercise science fields, um, and on one of his episodes on the, or not one of his episodes, on an episode of the Revive Stronger podcast, which Dr. Mike Isretel was on, um, this episode was recorded in 2019, probably mid-2019, because in the video that I saw this from, um, on Jeff Nippert's channel, um, it was posted at about early September 2019, and he said the most recent episode of this podcast, so I can only assume it was sometime, actually not middle, but probably sometime in August or September um, of 2019. So it's relatively, it's pretty recent actually, but um, basically what Dr. Mike Israel said, first off, he wanted to clarify that he thinks we need a bit more research. Um, on this topic in general. So he's what he's talking about is isn't hard facts. It isn't hard evidence um, But it's speculation based on the research and information that we do have um, But he says it is true that the closer you get to failure the more hypertrophic yield each represent each repetition creates However, it's not a hard cutoff like I was saying that was my is main issue with the um, previous model He says it's not a hard cutoff. For example, six RAR still causes growth so how the previous model was saying at five, everything before five um, was pretty much not necessarily useless, but not nearly as effective as everything five and after. Um, Dr. Mike Israel specified that six RIR still causes growth, but he said that it's probably has kind of like an S curve if you were to put it on a graph, right? Um, and an S curve is basically it kind of looks like an S on its side, where essentially it starts out low. And then kind of has a point where it goes up exponentially but then at another point it kind of starts to taper off and plateau a little bit so um, I kind of drew out this graph um, myself so I could visualize it a little bit better when I'm talking to you guys but essentially at about 15 reps from failure there's very little growth um, and then as you go along um, it kind of stays the same almost maybe a slight increase but it was a it's a very very slight increase and then somewhere around um, excuse me, somewhere around five reps um, in in reserve, there's what's called, what my, Dr. Mike Isertold called an inflection point, where it goes up a lot. Now, 
it was going up more before it was still increasing is what i'm trying to say before five reps but the point where it starts to shoot up is around five reps in reserve so he called it an inflection point and then it starts to increase and then as it increases going from five rar to four then it increases four to three and then really after three it starts tapering off pretty quickly where you see the difference between five rar and four rar and four and three and three and two and two and one and one and zero gradually decreases <clears throat> so the difference between five rar and four rar in terms of um muscle growth there's a big difference but then when you get to the difference between two and one and the difference between one and zero it's a very very small difference so again um like i said earlier as you go closer to failure yes there is more muscle growth however again the difference between them decreases it starts to taper off like i talked about earlier it tapers off so um this could also be used to justify again one to three rr is probably better because three rr is better than four and four is better than five but after three is really the point where it starts to taper off and the difference between one and zero is almost non-existent it's a very very minuscule difference <clears throat> and again i want to emphasize that um dr mike israel did very like the first one of the first things he said was that he thinks we need a bit more research i think that was the first thing he said uh, and throughout him saying him saying all of this he used the word probably a ton so again this is speculation it is not hard facts it is not hard evidence based um the the <clears throat> excuse me the concept of effective reps we do need more research it's not perfectly concrete it's not perfectly set in stone yet however this is a pretty solid theory for based on what we do have um this is a pretty solid theory to go off of the s curve so to speak of effective reps another study by uh carol et al carol et al in 2019 um it's basically they start they tried to say that the last few reps prior to failure uh may matter less than many people believe so this also kind of um goes with this s curve the last few reps um, are going to matter a lot less than people believe because in general, like I was talking about earlier, people believe that it's just kind of a linear, almost, they kind of assume that it was linear growth, that as you get to failure, it's just better and better. So what they did, they took 15 uh, well-trained males and they put them into two groups. The first group, they didn't train to failure. They maintained uh, RPE of about four to eight, which again, RPE is uh, rate of perceived exertion. So eight is very difficult. Uh, if you're doing it if you're doing it properly so they maintained like difficult training uh and they still like worked hard obviously but they just didn't go to failure and then the second group they went to failure but they did this only on about the last set of each exercise but they did go to failure on those sets now both groups they trained with a full body split which is three times a week and they trained for 10 weeks at the end they measured four different things they measured quad uh, csa or cross-sectional area quad thickness mTOR levels and myosin heavy chain proteins i'll be honest the last two i don't know what those are but not really important for the point that i'm trying to get across which is basically uh, if you oversimplify the results, um, it showed that group one trended towards more hypertrophy than group two. And again, group one was the group that trained not to failure, and group two, group two did train to failure. So that so there's been essentially, as you can see, there's been kind of contradicting information. Some people are saying it's better. Some people are saying it's not better. Some people are saying it's no difference. And Jeff Napier, I feel like, did a really, really good job of kind of breaking it all down. He made a, essentially a T-chart where he had 
uh, three different studies that showed that failure was better, and he had four different studies that showed that there was no difference um, in training to failure and training kind of just shy of failure. Um, he did immediately cross out the one set from, or one, not one set, one study from um, the failure is better category because they trained with a very low volume single set training, um, which isn't really practical for what we're talking about because in general, we're not going to be, or at least I assume that the people listening to this are not going to be taking super low volume uh, training program, so it's not really practical in that aspect. But also, if you remember that volume is one of the primary hypertrophy uh, drivers, uh, this kind of uh, very low volume approach is probably not best for hypertrophy anyways, so you kind of just want to ignore it. Um, he also eliminated one study from the no difference category um, because they were um, looking at essentially actual failure. Now, when we say failure, we're generally talking about you do a rep and then you know you can't do another rep after that. Like your very last rep where you are like pushing and pushing and you barely get it. These people are talking about actual failure, which is literally you fail the, the rep. Like if you're doing a bench press and you're going to failure, you fail. Like the bar comes on, like drops onto you. So that's not practical for what we're trying to do. Um, and what we're trying to talk about because that's simply not safe and I don't want to encourage anyone to go to that levels to do failure. If you do a rep and you barely, barely, barely get it, that's failure. Stop. Don't do another rep because you will fail <laughs> and it will hurt most likely and it's not safe. Um, so therefore, we can cross out that um, study because it's just not relevant to what we're talking about. Uh, now with the studies that are left, um, both the studies that show that failure is better, they both used untrained lifters. One used untrained women, one used untrained men. Um, so potentially, um, this could mean that maybe untrained lifters need to go closer to failure to maximize hypertrophy. Um, and this could be because that um, because trained lifters are able to reach the point of full motor unit recruitment earlier in a set. And again, if you remember what we talked about, full motor unit recruitment is just um, recruiting the most motor units uh, or again groups of muscle fibers uh, that you can so um, it's been shown that trained lifters can reach this point earlier so they don't have to go as far or as close to failure to reach this point um, and this plus these two studies showing that failure is better using untrained lifters can be um, used to kind of conclude that again potentially Again, potentially, that's a very important word to emphasize here, potentially, untrained lifters uh, might may need to go closer to failure to maximize their hypertrophy. Um, out of the three remaining um, articles or studies that show no difference in training to failure and training close to failure, um, two, out, two out of three of them um, included very well-trained lifters. One had, a, had lifters that are 1.5 to 4 years trained, and one had lifters that were greater than 2 years trained. Excuse me. And if you um, use the Carol Atau 2019 study that we talked about earlier, which also says that there was, um, well, it didn't say there was no difference, but it didn't say, it said that failure wasn't necessarily better. Um, it also used um, trainees that were well-trained, specifically 7.7 .7 years trained. So these three studies all um, showed that either there was no difference or failure was just not, in general, failure was not better. Um, they had they used well-trained individuals. Now again, there was this study, Samson, um, by Samson in 2016, that used untrained individuals. But the majority of the evidence that showed no difference um, was with well-trained individuals. 
So in summary of this, um, basically it could be said that untrained lifters can benefit more from training to failure, um, whereas more well-trained lifters can get away with or even benefit from uh, staying a few reps shy of failure. Now, a couple other points that Jeff Nippard uh, made kind of at the, towards the end of his video. Um, he said that, again, it could be true that the last handful of reps just before failure are more effective um, or more important for hypertrophy than the reps before, but there probably isn't much difference between a couple reps from and at failure. Um, and what that's saying is, again, it's likely or possible that the, the reps before or closer to failure are more effective than the reps farther away from failure. Um, that's what the research points to its points, but again, it's not conclusive. Um, but even that, with that being said, there's probably not a huge difference like in the S-curve model um, between the individual reps left in the tank um, from failure. So again, the difference between five and four, four and three, three and two, two and one. Um, there probably isn't a whole lot of difference between those reps. Um, and what Jeff Nifford personally said that he would definitely avoid um, are what are called pump sets. So they're essentially like 20 plus reps um, sets where you're not going nowhere near failure. He said that's a pretty much as close to junk volume or um, useless work as you can get because it's not getting anywhere close to failure. And he says that if you're doing high rep work, you need to go to at least two to three reps from failure. Um, and this should be reserved, of course, for single joint isolation exercise and definitely not used for compound exercises. But speaking of compound exercises, um, Jeff Nippard recommends that you should stay uh, one to three reps off of failure because, again, A, it's safer. Um, if you're going to failure on a compound lift, you're using very heavy weights generally. And especially if you're not using a spotter, it can be very, very bad. Um, for you in tons of ways it could injure you or best case scenario you fail and you bail properly but most people don't know how to bail properly so side note you should probably learn how to bail properly just in case but if you're doing compound lifts it's safer to just avoid those uh, those scenarios by doing uh, one to three RER instead of going to failure uh, but also another benefit of doing this is because again it achieves similar muscle similar muscular gains and it may allow for an increase in training volumes due to the fatigue that you could see by um, training to failure in compound lifts. <coughs> and that is what Jeff Nippert recommends, but also Jeremy Ethier, who I got information from for this video as well. He also recommends uh, one to three RAR, being in particularly important for compound exercises. Um, and what he says about isolation exercises, he says you can probably get away uh, with being closer to failure for isolation exercises. And that's what Jeremy Ethier um, says about isolation exercises. But again, what Jeff Nippert says, going back to him, he says that for isolation exercises, um, again, first off, um, high rep work for going at, doing high rep sets, going at least two to three reps from failure should be reserved for single joint isolation exercises, but also um, isolation exercises for them, you can train closer to or even at uh, failure with drop sets and rest pause sets if, um, this is important, if and only if they're used correctly and intelligently in your program and you can you maintain a long-term focus um, on the training and make sure to be aware of fatigue that this could potentially cause in your program as a whole. Uh, and when we talk about training to failure, one thing that we do need to mention that's um, kind of an underlooked, um, <clears throat> kind of an underlooked topic when it comes to training to failure, and something that I didn't really find in a lot of sources, 
Um, however, Jeremy Ether talked about how people uh, tend to underpredict the number of reps they can take to failure on a given exercise. In fact, there was one study that found that um, that tested this, and they found that less experienced lifters, like beginners or like brand new lifters, um, they underpredicted the number of reps they could go to failure on a particular exercise by a uh, by approximately four to five reps on average. And for more experienced lifters, like advanced and expert lifters, is what they called them, um, they tend to underpredict the number of reps to failure for on a given exercise by approximately one to two reps on average. So even the most experienced lifters still tend to underpredict um, the number of reps they can go to. Um, and this kind of trend, it the trend that this study shows is that as you increase um, experience in lifting, the um, your ability to more accurately predict the number of reps you can go to failure increases. However, it doesn't increase um, super well because again, the most experienced lifters still um, underpredict by about one to two reps. Um, and the fact that very like unexperienced lifters, like beginners, brand new people, even some intermediates, um, underpredict by that by that number of four to five reps, um, it can be very detrimental because. It's very important, as we've seen, to push our reps closer to failure, at least to get within that, at the very least, 5 RER, but even um, even better is the 1 to 3 RER range, and because it's significantly better to get to that point, um, it can be detrimental for new lifters who can't properly predict the number of reps they can do in an exercise to go to failure, so they can't properly maximize growth because of this. Um, something that Jeremy Ather, um not predicts, um, prescribes, kind of. Um, to fix this situation is to kind of dedicate a day um, to test how many reps you can do to failure on a given exercise. So you take, basically what you want to do is you take three sets to failure, you add up the number of reps, and then you divide the number of reps by the number of sets. For instance, if we're using that uh, bench press example from earlier, where let's say you do 10 reps and then you fail for the first set. Second set, you do eight reps and you fail. Third set, you do six reps and you fail. You did a total of 24 reps. You divide that by three sets, and then that's the number, you get eight. That's the number that you should do on future sets when you're trying to maintain that one to three RIR. Um, you should do that for future um, three set, <coughs> for future sets of the exercise when you're doing three sets, you should do eight reps per set because um, that's going to be, at the very least, a very good ballpark idea of the number of reps you should do per set to still hit that one to three RER, still get the um, challenge for that exercise um, without taking it to failure and failing and, ga and gathering too much fatigue. Um, now again, this is a benchmark and as you progress and as you get stronger, obviously that number is going to become more and more obsolete. However, that's a good starting value and um, obviously as you get stronger, you can increase um, the number of reps you do or the number of weight you do, however you want to progressively overload. Um, and now that's all that's talking about, um, all that information that I just talked about was from Jeremy Ether, Jeremy Ethier and Jeff Nippard primarily. Um, now we're going to talk about uh, Jeff Cavalier's perspective, um, Jeff Cavalier from Athlinex, his perspective on um, training to failure. He believes that you should always train to failure. However, he says that for the people who say you shouldn't always train to failure, that's because they don't necessarily understand that there are multiple types of failure. The different types of failure being, as he describes it, tempo, tolerance, and technique. Um, and it depends. And he says that you should always be implementing one of these types of failures, um, depending on what you're training for. For instance, if you're training for power and you're doing explosive exercises, he believes that um, the tempo of the exercise is really important because if you start to slow down, um, 
on that exercise, then you're not getting the power that you need for that exercise, excuse me, and therefore your tempo is compromised, so you failed on that exercise. If you're doing bodyweight pull-ups, for example, um, until you fail, you're doing it until your technique breaks down. So essentially, you're doing it until you cannot do another pull-up um, with that proper technique. So you stop once you can no longer um, pull yourself up um, as long as you're using proper form. So you stop before you start using bad form. And then tolerance is essentially if you're doing exercises that are like real pumper exercises. Um, for example, he used the example of, uh, it was basically bicep curls with tubing, where it's tubing, is, it's resistance, but it's very light resistance. So he was just wrapping out uh, reps of bicep curls with his, they were um, kind of drag, they weren't drag bicep curls, but his arm was a little bit behind his body and he was doing curls with tubing until essentially he could no longer do, he, he no longer had the tolerance to continue doing that exercise and then he failed so um, basically he's saying that you should always like I said do one of these three types of failure um, because if you don't then you're um, not really doing anything productive and not challenging yourself so an actual exact quote um, for this I'm going to read that out to you guys so you can better understand from him himself what his opinion on training to failure is he says that if you just show up and do sub maximal sets not touching not touching any of those types of failures you're literally just spending time in the gym not really doing anything productive not challenging yourself in any way to come back bigger stronger and better now there was a time where i would fully agree to this uh, agree with this philosophy however now reading all the other information um that i've read and discussed with you today i kind of disagree with this and i'm going to kind of dissect what he's saying a little bit and show you why I disagree with it. Um, first off, when he says not touching any of these types of failures, what that sounds like to me is not getting close to a failure. And what we're talking about is one to three RER, which is getting very close to a failure, and it's still very difficult, especially when you're talking about one RER, that's practically at failure. It's only one rep in the tank. So it's definitely, I feel like one to three RER is definitely cannot be classified as not touching any of these types of failures. And also another big thing he says is if you're not touching the failure, you're not challenging yourself. Whereas again, if we're talking about one to three RER, those three reps are going to be challenging because they're three reps, two reps, one rep away from total failure. So that's still going to be very challenging and it's still going to have an important stimulus for muscle growth. So that's basically the reason why I kind of disagree with what he's saying. However, the essence of what he's saying, I believe, um, from what uh, from what I understand, is he's saying you should at least he's saying you should totally get go to failure. But um, his main point for going to failure um, is that if you're not touching it, um, you're not challenging yourself, you're not being productive, and that kind of stuff. However, if you are touching failure, you're getting close to failure, and you're still challenging yourself. Um, based on this quote, I feel like he wouldn't have a problem with it, and that's kind of the essence that I'm getting from this quote, is as long as you're getting uh, to failure, as he's saying, but in my opinion, close to failure, and you're challenging yourself and you're giving yourself that proper stimulus, um, you are you are doing the right thing in, in terms of going uh, for more growth. Um, that's it for today's episode. It was a little bit of a long episode today, and I'm sorry for that, um, but this is a very kind of controversial almost, very discussed about, very asked about topic. Um, so hopefully you guys enjoyed, if you found it informative, if you enjoyed the contents, feel free to leave a like or even a dislike if you didn't like it um, on YouTube when this eventually goes up. If you could uh, follow the podcast or um, do whatever you can on whatever platform you're on, I would appreciate it. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, feedback, suggestions, or ideas on any past or future content, or you just have general questions, 
um, feel free to email me at buildandkeepfitness at gmail.com or leave a comment on this YouTube video when it comes out. Um, and speaking of YouTube, my channel, again, like I talked about in the last couple episodes, my channel exists now. Build and Keep Fitness is now a YouTube channel. Now, um, there is no content on there at this time. There probably won't be for the foresee like the very near future um i'll eventually at some point probably during this break um start porting over episodes onto youtube however for now there's nothing on there don't expect anything on there um very in very again in the very near future but regardless if you could go over um to the youtube channel i will have the uh, youtube link to my channel in the podcast description if you could go to that link Click the link if it allow you or copy-paste the link into your browser. Uh, if you could go to that link and subscribe, I would really appreciate it. It gives me a good idea of the, the number of people that really watch this content and enjoy it and actually continue to watch it. Um, so in that way, I would really appreciate it because I just get a better feel of the audience. And I think it's just it's more motivating to me when I see a subscriber um, because they actively subscribe to this content versus when I see someone just they watch a podcast episode because maybe they watched the podcast episode and then never came back so i don't really know i don't have the data for that so if you could subscribe to my youtube channel i would really really appreciate it but again that's it for today um be sure to tune in for the rest of the week's episodes again we're going to be talking about um heavy versus light um reps if heavy rates all you need or heavy reps are all you need if you don't need light reps um do we're probably going to talk about touch on the um, idea that heavy reps are for muscle growth and low reps or light reps are for muscle toning. We're probably going to touch on that as well if I can find information about that, um, which is a very common topic and potentially myth. We don't know. We'll see. Um, we're also going to be talking about rep ranges, what's ideal for hypertrophy and potentially what's ideal for strength. Are certain rep ranges better for hypertrophy? Are certain rep ranges worse? Uh, or is there really no difference, no, um, no importance? no importance to rep ranges and we're also going to eventually if not this week the next week talk about rep tempo right fast reps versus slow reps which are more effective all that good stuff we're going to be talking about in rep week in the future episodes so stay tuned for those um but again thank you so much for watching i really really appreciate it and i hope you guys have a great rest of your day goodbye